Good morning, Spring Meadows. Happy Sabbath. Has the Lord been good this week? Amen. I know we can all say amen to that. Thank you so much, praise team. Uh, just thank you for leading us in worship as we praise the Lord. Uh, but I have a bone to pick with you all, just real quick. So last week, I understand I got up here and my shirt tail was tucked in my suit pants. I thought you guys were my friends. You guys should have said something. Instead, I had to wait it work its way out. Anyway, I'll let it go this time. Just messing with you. As I was thinking this week, though, uh, about our topic today, I was reminded of a few things. We've been, we've been talking about community. And what greater time in Earth's history, even now as we are coming out of this pandemic, that we would need to understand what community means how important it is, because this past year and a half, we've certainly understood what it's like to be without community, to live in a different type of world, but, but God has also reinforced in our hearts and our minds the value of each other, that even though we were apart, the community of Jesus Christ still remained. No matter where we were at, the body of Christ still holds fast. We've been talking about the unity in the Godhead the community established there, existing there for eternity. We talked about community within humanity that God designed and put in uh, human beings to procreate, to expand community, to have community with him. But then we also talked about what it means to be a community and united, the power of together. As I was thinking about this topic today, I was reminded of something I shared some months ago, probably maybe even over a year and a half ago. Time's been flying. But I, I share with you just a thought from a book called The Wisdom of Crowds, and it's written by James Serzecki, and he's a sociologist. And I, I shared that this book's premise is that there is, there's actually an advantage to group or collective intelligence or group think. Now, I know growing up, all of our parents spoke against this. Don't ever follow the crowd, right? Don't do what everyone else is doing. Every good parent tells their kid that. But unfortunately, for maybe us parents, the reality is there is actually power and wisdom in the crowd. As a matter of fact, I wanted to revisit this because as they've done these studies, that's why, like I said before, with Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, uh, polling the, the audience was always right. If you remember that show, They'd all, if you always chose the audience, they were always right. I never see them be, be wrong. When a collective group of people is, is polled on different things, there is a very good chance they collectively will have the right answer or closest to it. But one thing that I recognized as I was relooking at this, because I believe it's relevant for us today, is that the number one condition that characterizes a wise crowd, a crowd that, that understands that where collective group think is effective, is that the crowd cannot be uniform, it cannot be the same. It cannot be made up of people who think alike, act alike, or even should be alike in, in any way. What they found is that the greatest condition that characterizes a wise crowd is that there must be diversity. Diversity. Not the same. You'd think, well, hey, if we all get together, we we're all have the same way of thinking, we're all from the same place, we'd be wise together, but the reality is just the opposite. There must be diversity in thought, in background. Each person must have their own perspective for the crowd actually to be effective. When it comes to the body of Christ, should we expect it to be any different? Maybe we should. Maybe we've thought about it. But as we delve into this topic of the body of Christ and what it means to be united but diverse, this bowers for a word of prayer. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we are here today because of you. We are here because of Jesus. We're here because you sent him into this world. And Father, you've also called us to be your disciples, your children. And so Lord, as we look and discover together what you have for us, what you want to communicate to us, as we worship you through your word, we pray that our hearts would be lifted up to you in thanksgiving and praise and in, in surrender, in worship, and that we would be transformed in the process. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to submit to you today, when it comes to the body of Christ, 
that the, the strength and beauty in the body, if I just ended last week's sermon, you might have thought, you might have thought I was to say something differently. But I'd like to submit to you today that the strength and beauty of the body of Christ is not found really in our unity. When we thought unity is a beautiful thing, being together. I want to challenge that thought today. Because I believe the beauty and strength in the body of Christ is not found in our togetherness, but to a greater degree in our diversity and differences. Let me repeat that. The strength and beauty in the body of Christ is not solely in the fact that we are one and together. But I believe to a greater degree it rests in our diversity and our differences. You're saying, well, how can that be a strength? That, that, that must be a weakness. But, but let's just talk together. There's a miracle that takes place when we come together as the church, as the body of Christ. No matter where we're at, worldwide, as the body of believers, there is a miraculous thing that takes place when the body of Christ comes together. The miracle of the church is not that we are united, but that it exists within the context of such diversity. That's a miracle. The miracle of the church is not that we're together, but that we're so different, so diverse, and yet we are one. That's the miracle. That is the greatest miracle this world has ever experienced or seen. Before we go any further, I'd like to spend a few moments discussing and discovering what the body of Christ is. Why does it exist? Before we can understand the power and diversity, we must understand what the church is and why we are here. The first term we see as far as in Greek for the church in the Bible, in the New Testament, is ecclesia. We, we see this word in the, in the term ecclesiology, which is the study of church. And so this word in Greek doesn't mean church, by the way, although that's how we translate it. The term literally means those who are what? Who knows? Those who are called out. So it's not those who are part of this building or those who are sitting here today the word ecclesia, the literal term we use for church, means those who are called out. So when Jesus calls the disciples there by the sea from the tax collector's office, he calls them and says, hey, follow me. As soon as he calls them to follow him and they stand up and they follow, they become the ecclesia. They become the church. Jesus begins his church with 12 ragtag guys from various backgrounds, various personalities, and didn't have it together whatsoever. That's what he started his church with. He chose the least and not the brightest and sometimes the roughest to be the foundation of the ecclesia, those who were called out. That should give hope to all of us today, that if the disciples were the ecclesia, that they were called out, that he calls each one of us today, that none of us are excluded from the call of Jesus. Amen? All of us are included in the call. So the church is those who are called, those who Jesus says, follow me, and we have to respond, yes, Lord, I will follow, and we must get up and follow him. At that moment, you become the ecclesia. You become those who have been called out, and you've been chosen, not because you're special, but because you have chosen to be chosen. He's called you, and you've responded, and now you're a part of the chosen, those who are walking with Jesus. What an amazing miracle that is in and of itself. But there's another dynamic to the church that sometimes we forget. We think we are simply those who are called out, those who are called out from the world to be countercultural, to be disciples of Jesus. But there's a second dynamic that I believe is just as important, if not more important. The second term we see used for those who are part of the ecclesia is the word apostolos. And we get the word apostle from that term, from that Greek term. The word apostolos or apostle literally means those who are, who knows, are sent. We have a theology student back here. <laughs> those who are sent. So let's put this together now. The ecclesia, the body of Christ, the church by definition are those who are called, okay, number one, 
those who are called. You have been called by Jesus to be his follower. But we also may have forgotten that as the disciple of Jesus, that you're not just called, but you are also sent. To be a disciple of Jesus, to be part of the church, you are not just called, you are also sent. The church is not a stationary platform where we just hang out. The church, according to its very definition of those who are sent, is a movement. You know, there was a time when the Adventist church was called a movement. Now we just call ourselves a church. A movement, something that expands, that multiplies, that's on the go, that doesn't stay where it's at. A movement progresses. A movement is something that is establishing and accomplishing something. But it's not just the Adventist church. The church of Jesus Christ around the world is a movement. How do we know that? Matthew chapter 28, turn, there, turn with me in your Bibles with me. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. It's the Great Commission. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Pause for a second. Jesus has all authority. There is nothing above him. He is the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. All authority rests in Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen? He is all authority has been given to him and is established in him. And because of that, on that basis, he says, therefore, go. He says, I'm sending you. Based on my authority, based on who I am, you go. And so when we go in this being sent, as we are called and sent, we go with the authority of Jesus. No greater authority in the universe do we go than the authority of Jesus. And so when he says, go in my name, we go in the name of the one who's at the very sound of his name, that the demons and Satan trembles, that walls come crashing down, people are healed, and God establishes his kingdom through the name of Jesus. Go therefore and make disciples. Go, I'm sending you baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you, though I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus says, when I send you, you're going in my name. You're going with my presence because I will be with you. And we're going in his name. We go with his authority, his name, and his presence. What more could we ask for or need? There is power in the presence of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power through the authority of Jesus. So when we're sent, he sends us in his name. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, but you shall receive power. He's talking to his disciples right before he ascends to heaven. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the very ends of what? The earth. You will be my Martus is my witnesses, those who, who are my extension of my ministry. You will witness of me. You will declare my gospel. You will receive power from the Holy Spirit. He repeatedly says, you are the ones who have been sent. If we wonder or question if the church at the end of time, before Jesus comes, is any different, remember a, a verse that, that we should remember quite well as this body of believers, of this Corpus of faith in Revelation chapter 14 says, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the what? The everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth. The end time church before Jesus comes is still sent. It's not stationary. It's not hiding in the mountains. It's not hiding in a cave. It is sent to the world. Go therefore. He calls us to go even to the very end, to preach the gospel, to be his witnesses, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Sing with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him made the heavens and the earth, the sea and the springs of water. Could it be 
that we've been so caught up in remembering that we are the called that we've totally forgotten that we are also the sent. Maybe we've gotten so comfortable where we're at with life that we've totally forgotten that the church is not just called but sent. Jesus said to his disciples, after Peter identifies who he is, he says, you are Peter. And he says, on this rock, pointing to himself, I will build my church. And he says, and the gates of hell will not what? He says, the gates of hell will not prevail. On this rock, I was thinking about this this week. Why does he use this rock and then the gate? What's this all about? And then it struck me. The whole concept of Jesus saying that I'm a rock is not because he is a stationary rock who just sits there and then kind of turns into this building that we have and we call church. Jesus is also, he is also sent. And, and I'll show you why we, we say that. Jesus is the one we perpetuate his ministry through our being sent. John three sixteen and 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17, For God did not, what? That word apostolo is right there. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but, through the, but, but that the world through him might be what? Saved. Jesus is the one sent from heaven. He is the one, the apostolo from heaven. The one who has been sent on the mission of salvation on our behalf. Jesus came. He was sent by the Father. In Luke 19.10, he declares his mission for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He has come to seek and to save lost people. And here's the kicker. John 20, verse 21, he says to them again, his disciples, he says, peace to you, shalom. He says, as the Father has sent me, as I am the apostolo of heaven, he says, so I am sending you. We are the extension of the sending of Jesus to this earth. And God has called us to continue the ministry of Jesus to a dying world. As I have been sent, now I am sending you. Does it make sense? We've been sent. Jesus is not a stationary rock that sits there and waits for us to build on him. Jesus is on the move. That's why he says on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. In the, in the ancient times, you know how they used to break down gates of big cities? What we call a trebuchet or a catapult. And what did they put in those big catapults? <laughs> it was a big rock. A boulder. And that's why they had to have counterweights to throw these rocks hundreds of yards to break down the gates of the enemy. Jesus says, I'm not just the rock that sits here and, and sends you guys. No, no. He says, I am the rock, and I will build my church on this rock, on me. And the gates of hell will not prevail because I will crash them down. And you're saying, oh, that sounds a little far-fetched. But Daniel chapter 2. Remember the statue? At the end of that dream... As Daniel interprets it to Nebuchadnezzar, he says, you saw a rock cut out without human hands that came flying out of heaven. And what's it do? It hits the statue and just devours it to powder. And then that rock, boom, hits the earth and expands and covers the earth. It's the kingdom of Jesus. What it says is that one day Jesus will indeed forever, once and for all, crush the kingdom of the enemy. The gates of hell will be destroyed once and for all. Death will be destroyed. Hatred will be destroyed. Sickness will be destroyed. Injustice will be destroyed. Abuse will be destroyed. One day Jesus' kingdom will be set up 
and it will be the kingdom established on love and grace, on equity, on the principles of serving and not being served, of selfless love. That's what it means to crush the gates of the enemy. The the gates of hell are not there to be battling ran by us. But when the gates of hell are destroyed, as God calls us to be sent in Jesus' name, as his church, as those who are being sent, those gates only come down through establishing Jesus' kingdom through acts of love and grace and forgiveness and kindness, because that's what Jesus' kingdom is built on. Amen? You will never destroy the gates of hell through man-made means. The weapons of our warfare, the Bible says, are not, are not the kind we use here, are not of the flesh, but they are strong and mighty in the Lord for bringing down strongholds. As we are called and we are sent we perpetuate the ministry of Jesus. It's getting close to camp time, and I'm reminded of a story that happened when I was at Mount Etna camp. As a, as a, I think it was my first year of team camp, and I think my last year of camp altogether. And I was there, and uh, every year they had a, a rock throw as part of these Olympic games they had. And it was like a 13-pound rock, and I think uh, Pastor Alex remembers this. They uh, remember this story about the rock, and it had like the pounds written on it. And one of the events was we had to throw this rock, and who could throw it the furthest? You got like a medal. And that year I had my growth spurt. I was bigger, I was stronger, and I was ready to win the event. And so I, I go there, a couple guys threw it, didn't go so far, and I grabbed the rock. And actually, a guy went before me. He was pretty strong. He was pretty big too. He threw it, and it went really far. I was like, oh, man, I don't know if I can beat this guy. So I grabbed this rock, and it was heavy. And so I lined up. And I take this 13-pound rock, and I take a running start to the line, and I threw it. But for some reason, the rock kind of went off to the right a little bit. And just as it was going off to the right, I saw a head sticking out of the crowd. And this rock came, and it glanced the head of this young man. I thought I killed him. He fell to the ground. And as we went over and just to see, we thought he was in big trouble. But luckily, the rock grazed his head. And wouldn't you know it, it grazed him just enough where it didn't go further than the guy before me. And I lost. <laughs> and to make matters worse, that guy was the brother of the guy who won. I think it was all set up. I don't know. I'm just saying. It was literally his brother. <laughs> but Jesus said to his disciples, he says, in Matthew chapter, chapter 9, he says about the harvest, pray the Lord to send workers or laborers into the harvest. That word sent there is not apostolos. Uh, I love uh, Derek Morrison's book, The Radical Prayer, identifies this. He says the word used there is ekbalo, which means to be thrown, to be cast like a rock. So when we are called to be sent, God throws us out like a rock into his kingdom, into the field, into the world to be used by him and to break down the strongholds of the enemy. Friends, the the gates of the enemy for too long have been been just sitting there. (laughs) We've been so set on just being the called and forgetting about being the sent that those gates have cobwebs on them now. There's vines growing around them. Because we've forgotten that we're supposed to be going on the offensive to attack the gates of the enemy. In Jesus' name. That's what we've been called to do. We are the called and the sent. The church is an apostolic movement comprised of every disciple who has accepted Christ's call to follow him. What is Christ's vision for his church? John chapter 12, verse 20. It says Jesus was there, and there was Greeks among them who were there to worship in Jerusalem. They were there for the feast. And in verse 32, Jesus says this as he sees the the Gentiles all around him. He says, if I am lifted up from the earth, and he says this in relationship to those who will, will come through his name, 
If I be lifted from the earth, I will draw all what? All peoples to myself. And when he said all peoples, he meant all nations, all peoples, all kindred, tongue, and nation. I will draw to me. He says, if I am lifted up, Jesus' vision for his church that we would lift him up as we are sent and called. But he calls for something else. In John chapter 17, verse 20. I'm sorry, in Matthew chapter Matthew chapter 28, 19, we see this also again. We read it before, where Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That word nations is ethnos. Every race, every kindred, every tongue, every people is contained in that word ethnos. Jesus is saying, don't just be limited to Jerusalem. Don't just be limited to a certain people, but it is for the entire planet. There is nobody excluded from my kingdom. In John chapter 17, Jesus is praying for his disciples, and he's praying for us. He says, I do not pray for these alone, meaning his twelve, but for also those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us. And here's here's the awesome part, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. In Jesus' prayer is contained, I believe, what we shared in the very beginning. The heaviest weight, the greatest proof of the miracle of the church is not because we are simply one, but it is the fact that we are one and yet so different. We are every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27 says, For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither now Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free, male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. There is no barrier. There is no separation. Jesus has broken down the walls of separation on the cross. There is now no distinction nationally, or by language, or by any other means where we identify different people on this planet, we are all one in Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, it says, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation. But it goes even further. We're not just such a diverse group ethnically. And even socially, as we look at these different categories of people, gender, race, place in life, slave or free, it doesn't matter. We are all one in Christ, yet we are different. But it goes way, way deeper than that. We all come from different families. Think about how diverse the body of Christ is, the ecclesia. We have, we have different family dynamics from our family of origin, our own family culture. We have local and regional cultural norms that have been established and ingrained in us. Different ways of saying things, doing things, believing things. And then even deeper on a personal level, we have different personalities. We could be a sanguine, choleric, uh, phlegmatic, or melancholic. We could be any one of those or even more. We're all so different. And think about it. We all have different experiences. And we all have insecurities and imperfections. And sometimes we get on each other's nerves. And we don't get along because we're all broken people. Friends, we're a hot mess. But praise God that this hot mess, when it is seen through the lens of Jesus, is made perfect. Jesus makes all things beautiful and perfect. He chooses the foolish things, the messed up things of this world to confound the wise, the simple. And by the way, I may have said this before, but many of us are looking for the perfect church. We've been going and visiting maybe. We've been for years seeking the church where we think we will find the perfect one. 
But the reality is, is this. If you found it, don't stay there because you're going to ruin it. <laughs> We'd all ruin it because none of us are perfect. The church of Jesus Christ is not a perfect church because it's made up of perfect people. It's perfect because it has a perfect head, a perfect body. It's Jesus. We are his body. We are one in him. We are so different, so diverse, yet we are made perfect together in him. And doesn't it make sense that we see a picture of grace even that we are called to be part of this ecclesia. Because Christ's strength is made perfect in our weakness. His grace is sufficient, even in His church. God has a, a beautiful picture in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 through 14. It says, For as the body is one, and as many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. So there's many members, there's, there's a diversity of members, yet we are one. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, repeating the same phraseology, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. There is a unity in our diversity. And by the way, friends, what unites us is not culture, it's not the Adventist culture. What unites us is something far greater than that. It is not a building. It is not even 27 fundamental beliefs. What unites us as the body of Christ? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, a picture of the kingdom right here, in diversity, as messed up as we are. He is painting a picture, a vision of the kingdom of God. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. He's not just, we're not just in Him, but He's also in us. Hallelujah. We dwell in Christ in heavenly places, and yet He dwells in us through the Holy Spirit. We are in Him, and He fills us. We're totally surrounded and filled. Jesus is everywhere. Amen. We are surrounded by the love and the grace of Jesus even to the very core of our being. I love what it says. In First Selected Messages, page 155, it says, the exaltation of Christ is the great truth that all who labor in word and doctrine are to reveal. The secret of unity, here it is, is found in the equality of believers in Christ. The reason for all division, discord, and difference is found in separation from Jesus. Let me, let me say one more time. The reason for all division, discord, and difference is found in separation from Christ. Whenever there is discord, difference, and division, it is because we are pulling ourselves away from Jesus. We're doing our own thing. Instead of being those who are called and sent, we are being the ones who are basically stay, staying where we're at and fine with who we are. Not called to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, but maybe a disciple of ourselves and our own thinking. We've been called and we've been sent. What unites us is not a culture, but a calling. That's what unites us. We are called together. Called as the body. And if you'll please lend me just a couple more minutes. I, I wanted to talk to our graduates for just a few minutes today. Can I do that? We have, we have a lot of kids graduating, young, young adults, teens. I just wanted to share a couple words with you. It's not just for our graduates. It's for, it's for all of our kids 
and, and teens and, and young adults. It's for all of us, by the way. It's not just for them. But I really want to especially emphasize this group. You know, as, as we talk about the body of Christ, I want to let you know first and foremost that this body is not complete without you. Amen? All the people of God said, amen, because you are part of this body. You also have been called. No matter how old you are or how young you are, you have been called. You've been chosen by Jesus because he loves you, because he has a special purpose for your life. And he has also empowered you, no matter how old you are, to be sent. He's called you, and he wants to send you. You know, it's so easy for us, especially as young people, to lose sight of what really matters. You know, many times we, we forget about why we were called and what it meant when we answered that call, no matter how old we are. And sometimes we as older people forget that we were once young as well and what it was like to understand and start beginning to learn what that call means. In Hebrews, the Bible says, and I love this, in chapter 12, verse 1, that we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses that us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And so graduates, young people, everybody, the church is a movement. It's not stationary. I love the imagery that Paul uses that we are in a race. We are called not just to to stay, but to go and finish the race. The destination is not a place, it's a person. That destination is Jesus. And we'll be together with him in heaven for eternity. But young people, I just have three simple things to say. And all of us can learn as well. Number one, don't give up. Because it's so easy, as we see the destination seems so far off, that we give up. We get tired. Don't listen to the haters. Don't listen to the ones who are telling you that you're not worth anything, that, that you can't finish the race. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't listen to the voices out there telling you any different. But another thing is, don't give in. I, Pathfinders heard this story. When I was at camp, another mountain in camp story, real quick. I'm sorry, worship team. Just a moment. We had a, in that same Olympic Games, there was a race. And my friend Adam was there. He wasn't a runner, but he wanted to run this, this mile run. And he takes off with the crowd. And we were like, this guy's not going to be able to finish the mile. And all of a sudden, five minutes later, we see Adam trucking down that, down that dirt gravel road there at Mount Etna Camp, like 100 yards in front of everybody. He comes flying in there, wins the race by a long shot. And we're like, what in the world happened? We'd never seen the side of Adam before. But then another person came running from the woods and said, hold up, don't, don't give him the medal yet. He took a shortcut. <laughs> he cut across the camp, and he jumped out in front of everybody. Don't give in. Don't take shortcuts. Don't sacrifice what's important for what is, expedi- or for what is expedient. Don't worry about who's ahead or who's behind. If you do, you might become a hater. You might want to start trolling them. But when we focus on those behind, we become prideful. Just focus on the one ahead. Look to Jesus. Stay in your lane. Unless you're there to help a fellow runner. Stay in your lane. And finally, don't give out. This life is a marathon. You have many years ahead, and God wants you for the long run. He doesn't want you for just a few years now, but he wants you for the long run. He wants you forever. So take take your pace with the coach Jesus. Make sure that you're looking to him as he's cheering you on, as he's beside you, as he's behind you, as he's in front of you. Listen to the words of the coach, the author and finisher of your faith. Don't give out. Don't run the sprint too quickly, but take your time. Wait on the Lord that he may renew your strength every single day. Just show up. Be consistent. Live on purpose. 
I just want to share with you, too, that we as adults, and maybe older adults, I'm not saying all these young people are not adults. There are many who are adults already, and sometimes we don't give you credit because you are an adult. But if you are or aren't, it doesn't matter because God has called you. He has called you with a special purpose. He has called you. He has called you to do amazing things. You know, one thing that God has, has said, as we look at the big picture, is that it doesn't matter how old we are, we are still called. We can still be of use to the Master. And let no one despise that youth. And many times we as adults have done that too often. But today we repent of that. And we want to tell you today that you're not the church of tomorrow. You're the church of now. You're the leaders of now. You don't have to wait for permission to lead and to be sent and to follow Jesus. You can do that right now. Nobody has to give you permission to do that. You just follow him. I want to read, read you just a couple, couple words. You had a large attendance, this is a quote, at your meeting last night. Yes, and everyone seemed much interested. I don't know, I guess they had curiosity to hear a boy preach. That was the pastor's words to 17-year-old John Lothborough in 1849 uh, when he began preaching about Christ's soon return. But he wasn't alone. Most of his fellow workers were the young. James White was 21 when he started preaching the Second Advent. Ellen Harmon was 17. Jan Andrews was only 20. Annie and her brother Uriah Smith were 20 when they joined the work. You don't have to wait until you're older to be part of the movement of God. This movement was built on the shoulders of young people who led, who plowed forward because they were filled with the Holy Spirit and passionate about Jesus. You are called. You are empowered. And we as a church want to recognize that and release you into ministry and mentor you into ministry. That's why we exist, to make disciples, to walk alongside of you. And I promise you that is what we are going to do as your church family. It's a church family that's for all of us. How many of us here are committed to walk alongside our young people? as they are finding what God's purpose is for their life. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you today recognizing (laughs) that we are a mess. This church is made up of of messy people, including me, with all of our imperfections, with all of our hang-ups, our filters, our blinders, Apart from you, Lord, we're poor, we're blind, and we're naked. And so, Father, what we need is for you to open our eyes that we can see through the eyes of Jesus. We need the gold refined in the fire, purchased by the blood of Christ. We need to be clothed by his robe of righteousness. Cover us as you've called us to be part of your body, of your ecclesia but you've also sent us. Not just to remain where we're at, not just to be comfortable, but to go. To be thrown out in places that we might not have expected. To be cast out like a rock into the field. But we know wherever that rock lands, your purpose will be accomplished. That the gates of hell will not prevail. But through your love and your grace, working in and through us, people will see Jesus and because of how they see us interacting with each other as different as we are as your body that is the only way that they will believe that you were sent if people are the same what's so hard about that but the miracle is that we're so different and yet we are one in you that's the miracle that's the power that's why the world will believe that you sent Jesus It's the only explanation because there is no other human explanation. And so, Father, may we live out the call and your mission and your sending. May we be open and available, filled with your Holy Spirit. And so today we just surrender to you as a church, as your body, 
And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. If you will please stand with us and sing the closing hymn. gracious Heavenly Father. Lord, as we leave this place, may we leave with renewed hope, with renewed strength, with a renewed sense of community, not simply based on being together or just what's in common, but to embrace the strength and the beauty of what's different, of what makes us who we are, because Father, you've created us that way. And Lord, may that miracle live here as it already does here at Spring Meadows. The miracle of your diverse church with one accord moving forward as the ones being sent in your mission. Because that's what binds us. It is your call. It is your purpose. We are one in Christ to accomplish one thing. To seek and to save lost people. To make disciples. That's why we exist. If there's any other priority, then it's out of place. And so, Father, have your way in us. Have your way in this church, in our hearts. Remove every barrier, every obstacle that we put in, our, in, the, in the way of you accomplishing what you want through us, that we be fully surrendered to you. We thank you and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As a reminder, we will be having a few elders up front to pray with you if you want special prayer. Please come to the front here, and an elder will be here to pray specifically with and for you. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next time. We love you.